we 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 have reached the last of our of our twelve part sermon series on end times Ezekiel. Right? I honestly, this series has been really enriching for me as your as 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 your pastor um, to prepare. You know, um, and and I've I I thought I kind of knew the material, and then like we preached it, and I realized that having deep dived into every single uh, weekend. Wow, wow, it's like it's like even an even richer experience than I thought it was going to be. So here we are at the city of God, right? We have we have we have, we have been covering the ending portion where you where, where you see the temple, the whole temple complex, then you see the prince coming in through the eastern gate, the water flows out from underneath the temple, it becomes a river, it gives life to everywhere it goes, and then you see the delineation of the land. That's what we're going to look at today. How the land is divided according to the tribes of Israel, and then it ends with this picture of the city. So, this is what we're going to get into. I'm going to take you all through the final division of the land, a brief history of the 12 tribes, because you won't be able to see all the little subtle kind of like veiled commentary if you don't know the history of the 12 tribes. We're going to see how God makes all things new. And then we're going to see a side-by-side comparison between Ezekiel 48 and Revelation 21 and see how both of these things give us a really tangible, so tangible you can almost like, you can almost like touch it, almost like feel it. What so-called, when we say heaven, what heaven is like, right? What we are really saying is that God brings heaven to us, a new city for us to dwell in forever. So if you're not familiar with the Christian uh, uh, worldview, you know, and, and, and you saw on TV that heaven is like you, you float into the sky and then you play harps, you know, as a, as a kind of like floating spirit forever. That is not the Christian worldview, that's a Hollywood worldview, you know, maybe not even the Hollywood worldview anymore, you know, but the Christian idea is that God lowers down a new city. It is, uh, it, it is a redeemed, good, perfect city and all of us with redeemed, good, perfect bodies will live in with God forever. That's what heaven looks like, okay? So, but we are going to go into it and I've got 61 slides today and my team is like, oh my gosh, Pastor Fox, what's wrong with you, right? And I'm timing myself to make sure that I don't go overboard because we got communion as well. So let's get into it, right? The final division of the land in Ezekiel 48. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we pray uh, that today as we go into all of this, um, this, this whole chapter full of mapping, right? Lord, we just pray that you will help us to see truth, to, to, to navigate our way into the beauty of being saved. And Father, we just pray, Father God, that you will help us to be able to understand why uh, um, we live in a world that behaves like this and the hope that we have in, ahead of us in the future. Teach us, Lord God, what it means to have Christian hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's get into it. Okay, I'm going to read Ezekiel 48 and this whole section. Let's go. Next slide. Okay, the land looks like this. The light gray part is the final finish section, okay? The dark gray parts are so-called irrelevant uh, parts, okay? Not irrelevant, but we'll, we'll, we'll look at it, okay? Let's have the text. Okay, Ezekiel 48. These are the names of the tribes beginning at the northernmost extreme beside the way of blah, 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 right? Hathlon of Lebo Hamath, right? Um, and the northern border, okay, so that's delineating the northern border. The tribe of Dan, 
one portion. You see that? Dan in blue, one portion, right? Next one. Adjoining Dan on the east to west, Asher, one portion. Next slide. Adjoining Asher, east to west, Naphtali, one portion. Next slide. Adjoining Naphtali, east to west, Manasseh, one portion. And then adjoining Manasseh, east to west, Ephraim. Adjoining Ephraim, east to west, Reuben. Adjoining Reuben, east to west, Judah. And then after Judah, you've got, boom, this whole bunch of Bible verses, which by the way, I don't expect you to read. I show you everything to show you that, wow, there is suddenly an interruption and it has a long description about this part after Judah called the holy portion or some places they call it the holy district, right? Okay, we'll get into this later. But let's continue uh, dividing the land up. Adjoining the holy portion, right? For the rest of the tribes. East to west, Benjamin, one portion. Adjoining Benjamin is Simeon, one portion. After that, Issachar, one portion. Then Zebulun, one portion. Then Gad, the final one, right? Wrapping around and then it gives you the parameters of where Gad ends, right? Um, uh, the boundaries on the south. Boundaries on the top, south, and everything in between. These uh, this is the division of the land. Now, if, if you know your maps in your Bible, you probably know that this looks nothing like the original division of land um, for the tribes of Israel. Okay? The tribes of Israel were divided. They were given the land and apportioned the land in the book of Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, the division of land looks totally different. You can see it on your screen right now. Right? Totally different. Asher and Naphtali are on the top, but it is structured like this coming down, right? Manasseh took up a huge space in the middle. In the middle, you have Selango. No, sorry, I mean Ephraim, you know, um, uh, somewhere in there. And then you've got Dan and, and, and Gad and, and Reuben. Gad and Reuben are on the on the east side of the River Jordan, if you draw a line from the little lake in the middle, the, the Lake of Galilee, all the way down along the coast of uh, the, the edge of, of Judah, that's the River Jordan. On this side is Gad, Reuben, and a bit of Manasseh. That's they, they, they are on the other side of the river. And then you got Joho at the bottom. <laughs> you got Judah at the bottom, right? Um, and and that's now. Really, if you understand, if you are true Malaysian, right? True Malaysian uh, division of the map, right? And if you, if you understand the topography of, um, of this part of the land, the mountain ranges come from north to south, okay? And they come from north to south. So you can see very naturally the boundary lines break at Asher, also comes down like this. Naphtali comes down like this, you know? Um, the River Jordan comes down north to south as well. So the natural topographical boundary parameters all work this way on okay so when i when, when, when i did the visual for the division of land in ezekiel I, I was obviously i was i was doing my own version of the visual because i wanted to animate it but you can see it all on the internet just google it it looked so implausible and I showed it to two people uh, um, uh, uh, and and one of my peers uh, uh, saw it and immediately said that 
bro, how to how to be how to do this literally? I don't understand. It doesn't seem to be a way. And and my first reply was actually I don't think any any earthly country can divide their boundaries so straight. Not even America, right? Not even America states um, have such straight lines dividing them. So so realistically speaking, I tell you why um, uh, it's. I mean, there are biblical reasons, and I'll show you that why the division of land in Ezekiel does not look like something to happen on this side of eternity. It's a heavenly, idealized, perfect division of land. It is not a division to happen here on earth. I will show you later why that maps over to the new heavens and new earth. New Jerusalem. I'll show you that later. But on a very practical level, it already seems implausible, right? Given that that topographically, it's going to be very odd to cut the land up that way, going up and down mountain ranges and so on. But, I mean, apart from, from that, you will notice that they're going to have to take more land. For this to happen, they have to take a lot more land. Um, um, never mind the fact that there's, they are supposed to take more land from that time when they had already a lot of land, right? If you want to compare to taking more land from now, geopolitically, there are a lot of unhappy neighbours um, um, in the picture as well. So is this going to happen um, while we are on this side of eternity? Uh, not sure. But there are people who say that, that they will, by the way, and uh, let's respect that. Let's move on and see what the Bible continues to say. Now, if all these names are unfamiliar to you, then uh, it's going to be really like, whoa, what's all this, right? Um, how many of you, you know the 12 tribes by heart? Can you raise your hand? Go to the Zoom tab and chat and say, I know, right? If you know the 12 tribes by heart, how many of you know, right? Just go and say, right? I'm very curious. I'm very curious. And because we'll be in church for so donkey years, right? Some of us, right? But then it, it, who has memorized this? Uh, as a kid, I memorized it only because of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Okay, how many of you know that's, that, that uh, musical? The, the, yep, you know Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. There is a song uh, that goes, Reuben was the... You know, was the oldest of the sons of Israel, Simeon, Levi, the next in line. And, and the whole song is like all the tribes, right? So as a non-Christian kid, I knew all the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Um, because of a song. Now, if you don't know, and you, if you don't know, if you don't memorize, but you understand, okay. If you don't know, don't understand, and that's like, it's like, wow, I've never heard of this. I'm new to, to, to the Bible. Then you're going to be quite lost if, if I don't give you this brief history of the 12 tribes. So it's not really just a brief history of 12, it's a history of 12 minus 1, then plus 2, then minus 1, then minus 1, then minus 9, right? And we're going to see what it looks like uh, um, now. A little bit of pre-12 pre, uh, tribes background. We know about Abraham. Uh, we did an Abraham series last year. For those of us who are new, if you want to check up on our Abraham by Pulpit series, uh, go to our YouTube and you can uh, click on playlist, uh, click on videos, and you'll be able to scroll back and see our whole Abraham series. Now, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael from a servant of his wife, and then Isaac by his wife. Right, the younger usurped the oldest birthright, and then Isaac had two sons. They were twins. 
Esau was older, he came out first, and Jacob was the younger. And again, the younger usurped the older and got the birthright. And the birthright, don't forget, is a, it comes from a promise that God gave that I will make you numerous. You will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, right? And the birthright is also a promise that goes all the way back to Adam, who said, who, to whom God said that your offspring shall crush the head of the serpent. And so, there, is, there are many layers to what this birthright is. On one level, as Christians, we know this birthright is the succession of the salvation line. Right, The Messiah is going to come from this family. One of your offsprings will cut will crush the head of the serpent. But, and, and that means one tribe is going to inherit that. But on another level, you will be numerous, as numerous as, a, as the sand in the sea, as the stars in the sky. That's going to involve all 12 tribes and all 12 sons of Jacob, right? Or not, does it, right? I'm sure it does, right? So let's, let's with this in mind, right? Let's go into the 12... 12 sons of Jacob. If you were to color them, color code them by their mothers, right? Because they didn't just have one mother, okay? Um, they had, they had, there were four mothers involved. Leah and Rachel were the two wives of Jacob. And then at some point, both of them were barren. Uh, so so uh, Leah's handmaid and Rachel's handmaid also contributed. Um, it was a long time ago. We don't do this anymore. If you're, if you're new to Christianity, it's like monogamy is normative in our society these days, right? Okay, but you have reading it, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah from Leah. Okay, and Rachel did not have children at this point. And then, so her handmaid, Dan and Naphtali, uh, um, uh, gave uh, um, children from her side. Then Leah gave a handmaid, Gad and Asher, and then she started having her own children again. There's Issachar and Zebulun, and then finally Rachel has two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And these are the, the, the children. Now, I'm going to do a really quick uh, um, uh, blitz, okay, through the history. Now, Reuben loses his birthright. He's the oldest, but he loses his birthright. Where do we see it? In Genesis 49, uh, when, when, uh, when Jacob is pronouncing blessings. Now, a lot happens in Genesis 49, right? In Genesis 49, Jacob is blessing his 12 sons. Okay, and if you go back and you read Genesis 49, it's so interesting because not everything sounds like a good blessing. Some of it, like he's angry with some of the sons and he pronounces on them futures that are, hmm, wow. You know, you're going to see that. So Reuben loses his birthright as the firstborn, right? Why? Because at some point, you know, um, he slept with his father's concubine. In fact, we, the Bible is silent on, on who this concubine was, but um, the, the rabbinic tradition among the Jewish people, okay? Trust it if you want. Don't trust it if you don't want. It's, it's fine, right? The rabbinic tradition says that he slept with Bilhah, the mother of Dan, and, 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 uh, and the, the, the light red one, okay? The, the pink color one, okay? Uh, he's effect effectively his auntie, okay? He's, he, his, mother's, uh, um, his mother's sister's mate, right? Um, 
<laughs> not cool. Okay, that's Reuben, right? Um, so, so immediately you can feel, okay, that not all is right in this family, okay? Something went wrong with this family, okay? Oldest son sleeping with so-called mother's sister's auntie's maid, you know, and then loses his birthright. Let's move on. Simeon and Levi, right? Um, oh, gosh. Um, Genesis 34 is such a painful, um, such a painful chapter to read because um, one of their blood sisters, her name is Dina, uh, she's she is default lah, okay? I know we got kids maybe in this place, okay? She is, she is, uh, hashtag me too, uh, by, by a guy from a different tribe, right? Called Shechem, who really wants to marry her, can't marry her, so takes her um, against her will. And then, so one guy from that side, he's, a, he's the son of the, of the Keto Kampong. And then Simeon and Levi, the two brothers, I think they were looking for their father to do something. Um, and then their father was angry, but he didn't do anything. Um, so, so, so I think in their in their anger, based on the passivity of Jacob, and a very similar storyline with Jacob, uh, with with the King David later, uh, with with Amnon, Absalom, and the daughter Tamar. Right? Gosh, it's like a spitting image of the story. Okay, Simeon and Levi go and they slaughter the whole tribe, Shechem's whole tribe. Right? Literally every man, woman, child everything and they hamstring all the oxen and all the horses everything you know um it's like wow wow it's like you want to say are they righteous to be angry yes you want to say they're a bit overkill maybe not even maybe because god says yes overkill right and in your violence and in your wrath right um he jacob pronounces curses on them right um so so if you go to the next slide, okay, yeah, both are cursed to be dispersed, right? That they won't have allocation of land, right? They are cursed to wander around and never have their own territory. So what happens to Simeon? Oh, very interesting. I spent a lot of time reading about Simeon uh, um, uh, in preparation. Simeon's tribe became the center of a national sex scandal, right? Okay, because it happened on one occasion that Moses was scolding the whole nation, okay? This is after Moses already, many rounds later already, right? Um, Moses is scolding everybody, okay, um, for for bringing in false gods, okay, the gods of the land, um, through their marriages and relationships with the local women, okay? And he's telling all of them, put all these things away. And he has assembled Israel in front of him, and one of the princes of Simeon, one of the one of the Ketuas of Simeon, right, in front of the crowd, brings a Midianite woman, and in front of all of them, go into a tent that is visible to everybody, and starts having relations with her. And Moses is like shocked. Everybody is shocked, right? Because this is not even like like don't have a place to go. This is outright rebellion. Moses sends some guy in there with a spear kills them, you know, um, on the spot. It's like, wow, wow, so much, so, so, so thorough. And in the wake of that, God actually sends a plague. Uh, and so 24,000 died, right, um, in that plague. We don't know if all that 24,000 is from Simeon, but what a few possibilities. One is that quite a lot of them may have been from Simeon, or it's quite possible that in the wake of all this, Simeon uh, starts to migrate. Uh, some of them may even have ejected themselves out of the nation of Israel all together to become a wandering tribe of their own, you know. But what we do know, if you look at the census conducted in Israel in Numbers 26, you will see that Simeon depopulates by half, okay. So half of Simeon is wiped out after this, right. And we'll talk a bit about a bit more about Simeon later. Oof, wow. 
what 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 a messy family, what a messy family, right? Um, if you have a messy family, um, I, I I hope this gives you a bit of hope that God 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 knows that uh, he's in the business of redeeming uh, messy situations. Levi, Levi. Uh, Levi, together with his brother Simeon, you know, um, would also be cursed to never have a land of his own, but he was redeemed, you know, um, because Levi would produce Moses and Aaron, and through Aaron, they will obtain a, the, the Levites will obtain a priestly role. So, so their, their propensity for violence found an outlet, because in the priestly role, their job would be to butcher all the animals, right, and, and, and like sprinkle blood on the altar and all those kind of things. So, so, so they, they, in a way, found some kind of outlet for their... <laughs> violent streak right something like that okay but that's levi but they 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 don't get a piece of the land they are to be absorbed into as the priests they were to be absorbed into all the other tribes so you have levites in every tribe judah okay a bit of better news with judah okay remember the story of joseph and in the middle of the story of joseph um benjamin um uh, is accused of 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 uh, of theft okay and it was judah who guarantees himself, right? In order before Benjamin could go, okay, um, they had to take Benjamin to Egypt. It's Judah who told the father, if Benjamin doesn't uh, come back, you can claim my life, okay? In other words, he says that my life for his, okay? I will guarantee his safe passage, and if he doesn't have safe passage, you know, I will go on the line. And this is a proto-messianic gesture. Uh, my wife told me, please use language that people understand. And I, and I said, okay, that's fine. It's a picture of what the Savior does. It is a, it is a, it's a signpost, an indication, an early picture that this is what Jesus is going to look like. The Messiah looks like this. He is going to say, I will safeguard their passage from here to there, from slavery into freedom. And I will stake my own life on it. And because Judah offers himself, go back and look, Genesis 43, because he offers himself in this way, in chapter 49, when Jacob is, is giving out his blessings, he says that Judah will be a lion cub. And then after that, he says that, you know, the scepter will not depart and all this kind of, all the blessings of the Messiah goes to Judah, securing for Judah the part of the firstborn's uh, um, uh, 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 the the what's it what was it the the inheritance right the 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 blessings of the firstborn for carrying the lineage of G, uh, uh, of of the promise all the way back to Adam, your son your offspring will crush the head of the serpent that goes to Judah right, okay moving on Dan oh my gosh the 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 messed up family continues six hundred from Dan, by the book of Judges, right? 600 of them travel, they go north, they go to one home, they take their, ho their household gods, which is not, not Yahweh, right? They, their, their, own, their own local gods, you know? And then raid a house, okay? Take their priests, okay? To be their own priests, okay? Uh, like, own, own, like, family priests, right? Um, why got such thing one? But got such thing, right? And then they move north, they find a peaceful village, and they kill everybody there. And then they take the land and they say, this is our new home, you know. Um, why? Because the land that was originally allocated to them, they don't like. Wow, 
that's really messed up, man. This tribe of Dan is really, really messed up. But it's only 600, so you've got Danites in the north and you've got other Danites in the south. It's really messy. Let's move on. Um, now, the next few, Naphtali, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun. I, I, I highlighted Benjamin, but I, was, I will comment on Benjamin. These guys, not a lot to, to, to comment and I'm running for time, so I'm not going to spend too long here. Now, and then let's move on. Gad. Gad and Reuben, okay, like I told you just now, they settled on the, on the east side of the Jordan, okay, they, essentially they grabbed the first bit of land they can find, okay, and after that they built a huge altar and, and all the rest of the brothers, the, 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 the other tribes across the Jordan are like, wow, why you built like a huge fort, you know, it's like, you, it's like, why you want to go to war, is it? And then there was suspicion between the tribes and over time they had to placate it and Moses was like, yeah, no, um, nobody means any harm. But already you can see that there's family, not only are they independently messed up, but there's starting to be fracture, suspicion, sharp uh, wasanke, you know, and they, they don't really trust each other and there is a fear that the family could completely fall apart right you can see the power of sin creeping in already let's move on right uh joseph ah uh, guys don't you know that all these things happen because jacob their father showed favoritism right when you have one favorite out of 12 sons sure got problem right and so and so what did he do he gave the best things to joseph always gave the best things to Joseph. And Manatau, Joseph is the one whom God had appointed to do a blah, 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 right? You know the story. If you don't know, you can read it in uh, the book of Genesis, right? The 30-somethings all the way to the 40-somethings, you know, just go back and read. But effectively, Joseph is given the firstborn blessings for national growth and numerical increase and everything, right? Joseph gets that inheritance of the firstborn blessing. And then he, the father tells Joseph, it shall be given go to both your sons. So it's no longer called Joseph. There's no tribe of Joseph. There are two tribes, both of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, right? And they are sometimes called half tribes, um, but they are actually, effectively, they are full tribes. In fact, they become the biggest tribes and the most influential tribes. And of course, we end on Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin produces King Saul, yeah? Down the years, right? Down the years, he produces King Saul. And then loyalty with, uh, uh, for Saul in opposition to King David, even long time after Saul, Saul dies, you know, you've got Saul's sons and Mephibosheth and all these other things. You can read it in the book of, in 1 Kings. Um, but loyalty to Saul gives rise to decades of division. I wrote there Joshua 22. It's not Joshua 22, okay? That's my one, uh, 61 slides. Spare me one mistake. That was a mistake, okay? You can go back and read it in uh, 1 Kings, okay? Now, this is the whole family. Gosh, it is, it is not... It's not pretty, okay? But God is in the business of redeeming broken families, okay? And this is really one very broken family. Now, if you go to the next slide, um, you're going to see that over the centuries, eventually you got King David becoming the king over the whole thing, okay? And then his son Solomon is king over the whole thing. And after Solomon, the kingdom fractures into two. So you've got the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. What happens? Look at the tribes distribution between the, the, between the kingdoms. It looks like this, right? Nine of them are in the northern kingdom. Judah and Benjamin are in the south. By this point, Simeon is wiped out, okay? I remember I told you they depopulated by half. Simeon is like the, like, you know, you go to a party and then you play party games, like everybody's playing, like musical chairs, and then, and then you're, you're the first guy to lose. 
<laughs> and then you have to go and sit next to the watermelon and watch everybody play, right? Uh, Simeon's decade, right? Okay, so, so he got out of the game super early. By this point, he's gone. Wiped out already. Levi has no land of his own. He is absorbed into every single tribe contains some Levites, right? So this is what the northern and southern kingdoms look like. Now, by the time of Ezekiel, the northern kingdom has already been attacked, sacked, defeated by Assyria, carted northwards into Assyrian land, and, and they are assimilated into Assyrian culture. They are marrying Assyrian women. Their daughters are marrying Assyrian men. Okay, And that's happening. For Judah and, and Benjamin, it will be another 120 years before they get attacked by Babylon. But this time, they are carted away en masse. They live there in kind of like their own um, neighborhoods, like their own ghettos, right? As we know from Ezekiel, Ezek they are all, they are, they are, they are you know, um, refugee camps, so to speak, is by the Kiba River. And that's where we are at. That's where Ezekiel is, right? Eventually, they go home. Same self-contained. So the Jews that we know today are descendants of Judah and Benjamin and whoever among the Levites who were part of the southern kingdom. There are no more ten tribes of the north. In fact, they are known as the lost ten tribes of Israel. They are lost. They are gone. It has been 2,800 years ever since they were carried off into Assyria. Genetically, they have been mixed, um, mixed raced and intermarrying to the point of irreversibility and i know through my research for today that there are still some people who believe that one day representatives from naphtali and zebulun and issachar will somehow show up you know we all know that's extremely unlikely but i believe god has a plan for restoring them we just don't know how and what that plan looks like and that's why sometimes you hear christians have different ideas we're all trying to figure out what is that plan but god does have a plan but what we do know is that it's been 2800 years of kachok 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 and it's very difficult to posit a possibility that any of these traces of of genetically pure naphtali fellas gad fellas asher fellas still exist it's gone they're gone forever Okay, let's move on. But friends, don't you think this whole story of the tribes of Israel reminds us that all have sinned? That family is so broken. You think, you think that Judah and Benjamin were the successful ones, but even then, you fast forward 600 years into Jesus' time, and Jesus was calling out some of them for being you brute of vipers. The Pharisees came from that. Sadducees came from that. The fickle mob that one day praised Jesus, another day say crucify him, they are from that, right? And we know that that no matter how you look at this family, some of them look like they got it, some of them look like they don't got it. In the end, all of them have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So my friends, what does this mean for us? Next slide. Creation is groaning. Romans chapter 8 says creation is groaning, waiting to be set free from corruption 
ever since uh, ever since uh, Genesis chapter 3 when sin came into the picture all of creation fell into corruption that's why things decay that's why people decay that's why families go through decay that's why everything seems to be broken in this world and the family of 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 Jacob of Israel is just one example maybe a like a maybe like an archetype example for what all families go through uh, suspicion of each other breakdown sin fight against each other and so on and so forth but all of creation just crying out waiting for renewal waiting for being restored into a perfect condition do you wish are you crying out church in the midst of COVID, are you looking at this world and saying, God, why is the world so broken? God, I need some kind of re redemption. I, I can't wait for us to be set free from, from all this corruption in this world and my physical corruption as well. When you see people have cancer, have COVID, don't you wish that we can be set free from corruption? Well, my friends, one day, every corrupted part of this world is like a hard disk right with corrupted sectors it's like corrupted to the max really the thing can't run one day god will renew everything wow just take a breath my friends one day god will renew everything revelation chapter 21 now if you're on your bible revelation chapter 21 is like the last three pages of your Bible. So you are like literally looking at the end of your Bible, right? And it's quickly become one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This means, my friends, that everything in this corrupted world, God will retire it. He will, elsewhere in, in more poetic language, he says he rolls it up. He rolls it up, right? As, as if to say that everything will go and he will res replace it with a new heavens, a new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God. Friends, our hope is not in the present day Jerusalem. Our hope is in the new Jerusalem. Our hope is not that this present earth will in itself, we can do something to make it so good until it is perfect. There is nothing we can do to make it perfect. We can make it better. And God's call is for us to make it as good as it can be. And even then, we cannot control what is already corrupted. We can control how we respond to that corruption. But one day, God will lower down a new city. It will come down from heaven and he will prepare it as a bride adorned for her husband. If you look at the next slide, I want you to see this. Verse 4, I skip verse 3, I'll show you verse 3 later. Verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. All the former things will pass away. And then he says, He who is on the throne, that is Jesus, says, Behold, I am making all things new. Now let's think back to the broken family of Israel, the broken 12 tribes of Israel. God says, I'm making all things new. Let's see how he makes all things new. Next slide. In the city of God, all things are made new. Your bodies will be made new. The tribes will be made new. The land will be made new. The 12 tribes finally reunited. 10 of them 
returning from oblivion. They all return. Look, look at that. Everybody is there. Simeon is there. The guy who got kicked out early, wiped out early rather, he's there, right? Manasseh, Ephraim are there. So is Judah. So is everybody. They are all there, right? And, it's, and, and the land is divided in this kind of like idealized kind of way, as if to say that every son gets a proper piece of land, right? Every son gets a proper piece of land. Let's look at the next slide. I want to show you this, right? Remember, just now I showed you until the holy portion, and then I stopped. I said, I'll tell you all more later, right? Let's zoom in to this holy portion. It looks like this, right? If you zoom in to the holy portion, okay? That section is divided. The prince's land on the left and right. We saw that earlier, right? Um, you go back and look, read your Ezekiel. There's a land for the non-Zadok princess, okay? And then there is a land for the Zadok princess, okay? Um, basically, they are the, the, the priests, sorry, not princess, priests, right? And then there is the orange color one, that's where they farm, that's where, 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 where they, they live. And then there is the city, the red color part, the city with, the, with walls in a perfect kind of like cube. That city has a name. The last verse of Ezekiel says, the name of the city is Yahweh is there. God, the Lord is there. Where got people named the city, the Lord is there. The name of the city is Yahweh is there. Right? Let's zoom into this city. I want to show you something about this city. In this city, there will be 12 gates. Three gates on north, south, east, and west each. On the north side, Reuben, Judah, Levi. East side, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan. On the south, Simeon, Issachar, Zebulun. On the west, Gad, Asher, Naphtali. What do you notice? Look at this. Just take a few seconds. Just look at these 12, look at these 12 um, uh, uh, gates. What do you notice? There's still 12. There's still 12. Which is why just now I said it's like minus 1 plus 2, minus 1, minus 1, minus 9, right? It's like the calculation of 12 is not always the same. Notice that Levi gets a gate. Levi finally gets a gate. Meaning the curse for his infringement against Shechem has been reversed. Simeon gets a gate. Those two brothers, those two violent brothers, they both finally get a gate. Notice that Joseph now only gets one gate. There is no more Ephraim, no more Manasseh. I love this picture, you know. i tell you why I love it so much. You know what? It To me, this is a promise that when we get to New Jerusalem, all our broken way of doing family, by broken, I mean show favoritism lah. This son get the lion's share lah, and then this son gets this lah, and then this that lah. You know, and all the ways that as earthly families we just screw it up. You know, I love this picture because every son gets a seat at the table. I love it. I mean, and if you think, oh, it's Ezekiel forty-eight, you know, but how do we know Ezekiel forty-eight is the same as as the as the New Jerusalem? You know, let me show you New Jerusalem, Revelation twenty-one. It had great and high wall. Speaking of the city, right, with twelve gates, and at the t gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. All twelve sons get a gate. And it's beautiful. If you click to the next slide, you'll see what it means is every son has a seat at the table. No one is marginalized. 
anymore. No one is shown favoritism anymore. All the favoritism shown to, to Joseph, which kickstarted this whole mess, you know, all of that is reversed and restored so that Joseph gets one gate as he rightly should have. Every son gets one gate as they rightly should have. I love, I love this vision of a, a forever in heaven. Let's go to the next slide. Now, remember just now I showed you, right? The priests, Zadok and non-Zadok, regardless of who they are, if you look at the green arrow, it says they shall not sell or exchange any of it, any of what their inheritance, their allotment of, or of land. Don't sell or exchange your inheritance. You shall not alienate the portion that has been choiced for you. Hey, what does that remind you of? Don't sell, don't trade your inheritance. Who does it remind you of? Somebody type it into the chat if you if you if you can if it sparks a memory for you. Somebody type it into the chat. Nobody's typing, but maybe you are thinking, Isao, that's right. That's right. And we remember that painful incident as well. When there is trading, there's always an opportunist looking for a good deal, right? Looking to get a better deal you know, over someone else. And God says in this new land, no more trading. You will not trade. So even if, that no one will be lacking. And therefore, there will be no more need for trading. And all of the exploitation that, that you saw in Genesis, all of the... Let's look at the next slide, right? What does this mean? No longer shall God's children exploit each other, usurp each other, prey on each other, be left out, be forced out. No one shall any of God's children be forgotten. No more shall anyone be left behind. Friends, I love this vision. I love this vision. And I will live the rest of my days fighting for a, 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 an eternity that looks like this. Because on this side of creation, gosh, we see all kinds of pain. We see all kinds of pain. But I can't wait. But I can't. I can't wait a bit more, right? I can, I can wait like a good 50 years more. <laughs> but, but you know what? I'm looking forward to an eternity with God where all the children of God play nice with one another. Not because we are told to, but because we have been redeemed. Our own hearts will be redeemed. He will give us a new heart of flesh, no longer a heart of stone. And a heart of flesh will love his brother like, a, like he loves his own self, right? Next slide. Let's take a look. It says here, Revelation 21, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. I'm going to now compare, like show you Revelation 21, end of your Bible, and, and Ezekiel, right? And show you the comparison. I've got Revelation 21 in white, okay? I've got the Ezekiel and everything else in green, okay? God says in Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. God will dwell with men. In Ezekiel, it says, right? Son of man, this is the place of my throne. Right, Ezekiel 43, with the place of the soles of my feet, where what I will dwell in the midst of people of Israel forever. 
In other words, same thing. Revelation 21 and Ezekiel 43 is saying the same thing. And Matthew 21 gives us the partial fulfillment of it. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call Jesus, right? They shall call his name Emmanuel. That's why we also call Jesus Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. God dwelling with us. And John chapter 1, verse 14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt with us. That's why we live, my friends, in the now and the not yet. We live in between that partial fulfillment. That's why, my friends, that the Bible uses bridegroom language for us. Do you ever wonder why uh, uh, the Bible uses bridegroom language for us? The Bible uses bridegroom language because we have been betrothed, but the, the, we have not crossed the finish line. He has promised us already, right, that one day we shall walk and step into that perfect marriage, but not yet. He, the promise is there now, yet, not yet, right? So, so it's, a, it's a journey of waiting for the, for the consummation, for the groom to come back, you know, and he will. One day, we will enjoy perfect presence and dwelling with God in a perfect way forever. Not yet though. Almost. A bit. It's like I said, sample product. You've tasted it. You know what it is. Now, based on that sample product, spur you on day by day for the, for the real thing, right? For the full thing. So today, we live in that space. We live awaiting our bridegroom. We know we have been betrothed. In the same way, we get to experience His tangible presence in a fellowship of a church like this. And then, one day, we shall experience it fully. Amen? Amen? Let's look at what else Revelation 21 has to say. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Where else have you seen this before? In Ezekiel. Ezekiel 43. It's there in Ezekiel. Uh, is it 43? Yeah. Let's go to the next slide and see it, right? Um, to the thirsty, sorry, it, sorry, this is John. Sorry, this is John. Ezekiel 47 talks about the river of life. I'm going to show that to you in a moment. But in John 7, in John 7, Jesus himself stands up on the day of the, uh, 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 of the, of the celebration, the feast, okay? And he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow springs or rivers of living Water. This is the same idea that when you drink from Jesus, He will give you a spring of the water of life in Revelation 21. In fact, in John chapter 4, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, He says to her that the water I will give to whoever who asks will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. God's going to give you a water to drink that is going to cause you to be so quenched that everything about this life that parches us will be restored and that spring will well up. It will, it will satisfy you. You will drink of it forever and that spring will well out from you into life. It will be a life-giving water. Let's look at what else Revelation has to say. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. 
and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem. Where have we seen this before? Have you seen this before? That's right, Ezekiel 40. Ezekiel said, The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me to the city in visions of God. He brought me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. I remember when I shared this with you, I was sharing with you all that actually there is no such mountain that is so high you can see Jerusalem. You can look down at it, right? So this is New Jerusalem that you're looking down on, right? Because in Revelation 21, as the mountain comes, as the New Jerusalem comes down, God shows. God, the angel takes John to the same, it almost could have been, right? Almost like the same vantage point that Ezekiel was. Who knows if they were there at the same time, seeing the same thing, right? Just expressing it differently. Speculation. But we do know this is not speculative. Then Ezekiel 40, he says, he brought me there, set him on a mountain, and saw the structure like a city to the south. And in Revelation 21, it says that he saw the holy city. That, named it, that city is Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, right? Wow. Friends, you know what? For now, we have an approximation. We are to be a city on a hill that gives light to the whole world. We are to be a city on a hill like the city described here, yet not the perfect expression of that city. But we are called to be a city on a hill so that everyone who looks up at that hill will see bright, beautiful light and they will say, I want to be there. I want to be part of this hill. I want, to be, I, I, I want to be like that hill so that I will not be down there in the valleys of darkness, but I can shine the light of where is this light? This is the light of God. This is the light of King Jesus. And if you have never given your life to Jesus, I want you to know that giving your life to Jesus means that there is a change that's going to happen in the, deep inside the pits of your heart and maybe not even for if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never taken Him seriously. I want you to know that when you take God seriously, light fills you and you're no longer wandering around in the dark, but you are, you are filled with the light of life. Let's look at the, what the rest of the Bible has to say about this. I saw no temple in the city. This is in the end of the end of your Bible. No temple. For the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And in the city, there is no need for a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. I like that. The lamp is the Lamb, right? And where else have we seen this, right? Let's take a look. In Ezekiel 48, the circumference of the city shall be what 18,000 cubits. The name of the city from that time on shall be Yahweh is there. So my friends, look back at Revelation 21. Why is there no need for a temple? Because Yahweh is there. Why is there no need for sun and moon to shine light? Because Yahweh is there. He is there. He is there personally. And our own earthly kind of like approximations, we, we know today, right, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within us. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And we know in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So if you've never taken Jesus very seriously, or maybe you used to, and these days you don't, for some, some reason you have been distracted by all the things of this world, my friends, when you take him, when you mean business with God and you honour him and revere him and make him the king over your life, you will not walk in darkness. You will not be left in the valley. You will walk with the light of life. 
and one day you will enjoy the full blazing brilliance of the light of life. Let's look. We are ending. We are ending very soon. Then the angel of the Lord, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Now we're talking about that river of life. Bright as crystal, glowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, running through the middle of the street of the city. Wow, in the, it's a beautiful city. There's, there's a street and in the middle of that street is a river of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. Oh wow. Let me not skip this. On either side of the river. So this, there's a street, there's a river, and on the banks of the river, there are trees. And what tree is this? This is the tree of life. This is the matured, perfected version of the Garden of Eden that had the tree of life. And now we see this garden city. Eden and Jerusalem both restored both restored into one dwelling place where God shines, the water runs like crystal. And then if you continue reading, you'll see that, that on the streets and everything, you've got all the beauty, like everything looks like topaz and, and jasper and onyx and, and all the stones are blazing and beautiful and there's fruit on the trees on either side. The leaves of those trees will be for the healing of the nations. Hey, wait a minute. Didn't we just see this in Ezekiel as well last week? Let's look. Verse four, chapter 40, Then he led me back to the bank of the river, from the green half. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river many trees on either side. Their leaves will not wither, their fruit will not fail. Go all the way to the bottom, their fruit will be for food, their leaves will be for healing. This is the tree of life that will give life to everybody. And just one last one, my friends. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. You know their name, the name of God on your forehead is the Shema Israel, right? Right? You shall put the 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 Lord is your God, right? You shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put that on your forehead, wear it on your wrist. Right? And then the antichrist, the antichrist attitude of the mark of the beast right the one that is against god is to wear the number of of the beast on your forehead that's the reversal of this but the final version of this is that we will bear his name in other words wherever we go we carry the name when people when we see each other we will see the image of god and then we will see his face where else have we seen this motif in our life of seeing his face first corinthians 13 now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror but then we shall see face to face my friends your best approximation of encountering god is still like a poor reflection as in a mirror like a mottled muddy mirror your best way your best effort best encounter think back to your best most tangible encounter with god were you crying was it an altar call? Were, you sh were your hands shaking? Were you slain in the spirit? Did you feel a warmth? Did you feel the love of God? Did it make you choke up? Did you feel so loved? That is a good thing. And even then, that is just an approximation. Because one day, we won't see just that. We will see God face to face. The name of that city is I will be with you you forever 
forever. So friends, we've come to the end of our Ezekiel series. And I hope that we've gone through so much to land at a place where we can say, God, I'm looking for it. I want to wave for it. So my friends, if, if Ezekiel gave his prophecy to a, to, to a group of exiles sitting by an irrigation canal far away from home far, and hearing news that their home has been flattened, destroyed, their loved ones have died, maybe for us in 2021, we feel maybe just a little bit like the recipients of Ezekiel's prophecies. Maybe we see the world that we know completely flattened. Everything that we know, COVID has done one, or one thing or another to flatten the, our old former normal life. And COVID has done all kinds of things to cause us to feel stranded, like we're stuck. Like even if you can get out of your house, you feel stuck because the whole of the country feels stuck. And there is no way forward. But Ezekiel gave this message to his people to tell them there is a way forward. You will go home one day. And church, we will go back out and have normal, so-called normal lives one day. And even then, it will be a real, real rock and roll journey all the way till the end. And it will not be the final thing yet. And it's the same for us. Church, our hope is not in being able to go back out two jabs and then everybody is done and we go back out. That's not our hope. Our hope is a better hope far into the future. But today, I want you to know if you are in despair, a generation before us have been in despair, but God gave them a hopeful future, something tangible, a river that's shining like crystal. Friends, I'm for it. I'm for it. I'm waiting for it. And so that everything that is broken, that we have in this life, we can await a renewal as well. It was that way for the recipients of Ezekiel's prophecy. It is that way for every single one of us today. We give you every single breath of every single minute, we give you. And every single hour in this day, we give it to you. Every single day of the rest of our lives, forever, all my days, I will sing. Hallelujah. So Father, I pray that every single one of our lives will be given over to the faithful following of Jesus and the hopeful anticipation of our renewal in you one day. Full renewal one day. May we be hopeful people. May you work on our cynicism. May you work on our on the parts of us that are that that are that are that are hopeful, hopeless struggling many of you are very cynical I've been told I'm quite cynical so I'm holding my hands up if you feel eroding of your hope lift your hands up if you feel that that you always find yourself just criticising government lah Malaysia lah whatever just hold your hands up if you find yourself just always struggling to, to, to have a to be positive Maybe someone says, yo, you're always so negative one. You know, hold your hands up. Father, I'm holding my hands up. Father, I just pray that you give us hope. You give us reason to be optimistic, not some kind of fluffy optimism. We know how terrible um, the world can get. We know how ugly sin can be. 
But we thank you that we have a hope in the future that is now shown to us so tangible, so real, so, so something we can anticipate. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we work towards that hope every day. Renew us, revive us, and carry us. Now the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance to face you and give you shalom and peace. And all of God's people say, Amen.